If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. Our scripture lesson comes from Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death and my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. It is an occupational hazard for my clergy colleagues and I that when a person finds out what we do for a living, that the person and that the person happens to be someone who does not go to church, they feel compelled to tell us why they do not go to church. We never ask because we never have to. They just volunteer it. I think because they see that we have chosen a life in which we must show up on Sunday mornings, that we must not understand why someone would not want to go to church. But believe me, pastors know all the reasons a person might not want to come to church. All of them. But people are very kind to want to educate us. Here's the thing. There are very, very real reasons people do not go to church. The church has not always been a safe place, much less nurturing place for any, everyone. The church has caused real harm. And until there is confession and repentance and changed behavior, then going to church remains unsafe. If that is you or someone you know, hear this. The church does not own God, and you should always choose God over church. But also, people don't go to church because the weather is too nice or because the weather is too yucky. 
and there's really very little a pastor can do about the weather, although we regularly relay those concerns to management. But there is one reason that people occasionally name for not going to church that really concerns me. Sometimes people tell me that the reason they do not go to church is because they do not believe they are happy enough, healthy enough, or whole enough to go to church. There is an assumption that only spiritually sound people go to church, people who have their lives together, that only happy, healthy, and whole people go to church. And this is in part, I fear, because many of us have a hard time naming our hurt, our depression, our loss, our grief, not to mention being able to recognize and name entire seasons of disorientation, those times when we do not know up from down. This is true even in church, the very place where we should be able to bring our burdens, our cares, and our woes, and to ask for help carrying them. To be sure, Christian liturgy, as we know it, does not regularly include lament, not in prayers or liturgy or in our music. It is no wonder the church has a reputation of being a place for only happy, healthy, and whole. The language of lament and grief is almost entirely absent. Compounding the problem is how society deals or really does not deal with suffering and difficulty. As Dr. Brene Brown notes, shame and grief are two examples of emotions that are hard to fully express. So we turn to anger or silence. This is an easy concept to understand for one reason. The vast majority of us find it easier to be mad than hurt. Not only is it easier to express anger than it is to express pain, our culture is more accepting of anger. This is especially true for anyone who was raised to quote, be a man. All of us know the rules. Boys don't cry, keep a stiff upper lip, man up, sayings quoted as if they are scripture. But this is actually the opposite of what we find in scripture. Our sacred text tells us that Jesus grieved deeply, weeping over the death of a friend and the politics of Jerusalem. The world is deeply in need of people who follow Jesus' model of vulnerability. Perhaps Jesus modeled this vulnerability, lived this vulnerability, because he grew up with scripture and tradition that modeled for him sincere emotional expression. He knew how to present unfiltered agony and anger to God and ultimately to the people around him because this is what he found in scripture, certainly in the Psalms. Notably, Psalms that are not neat and tidy, Psalms that are not put together, these are the kinds of psalms that make up almost half of the Psalter. Psalms of disorientation, more commonly known to us as psalms of lament, 
Those psalms that express grief and sorrow, complaint, psalms that protest, bemoan, and make a fuss account for 61 out of 150 total psalms, making them the most frequently occurring kind of psalm. Biblical scholars have observed that the preponderance of lament psalms in the Psalter and their connection with intercessory prayer and sacrificial offerings and healings suggest that worship and chant in biblical times may have been substantially devoted to lament and intercession. So it was not just the words, but the invocation of them in church that Jesus would have been familiar with. This should be our guide, our example, and norm. Or perhaps we might start with being granted permission. This is scripture granting us permission. Scripture, and especially the Psalms, show us a long history of an honest and raw vulnerability in the life of the faithful. Or to say it another way, the only way out is through. Theologian Brent Strawn explains, the psalmists do not reach a place of new life by means of denying their very real, very difficult, and often very unjust circumstances, but precisely by voicing them. To operate in denial of these real, often volatile emotions is not only untrue to the Psalms, it is downright duplicitous, if not pathological. It may even be evil, since according to Psalm 73, the only people to enjoy a life free of pain are the wicked. And in the words of Tal bin Shar, the only people who don't experience normal, unpleasant feelings are psychopaths and the dead. And as the psychologists in this church would have me remind us all, don't forget science. A large body of data show it is precisely the articulation of painful emotions that facilitates healing and health, whereas the inhibition of those emotions leads to disease and dysfunction. Psalm 13 gives us an example of a psalm of disorientation, of lament. Here we find the psalmist in a season of disorientation, feeling dislocated, discouraged, and distressed. Psalms of disorientation are neither polite nor pious. As rhetorical questions, these inquiries are not so much looking for answers as they are bringing accusations against God. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? If you were taught that it isn't proper, isn't faithful, isn't okay to speak to God like this, this should prove otherwise. Many of the psalms of disorientation are personal laments, but they also include communal laments that cry out to God about social injustice and violence. 
We hear this in Psalm 82. Give justice to the weak and the orphan. Maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. A request not necessary if everything were right-oriented, peaceful. In her book, Wondrous Depth, theologian Ellen Davis explains that there is deep, deep faith in these laments. She writes, the Psalms give voice to a despair that is one degree short of absolute. And that one degree gives them a place in the book called praises and in the life of those learning to praise God in freedom. And although he is speaking of a secular poem, Wendell Berry's comment is apt. The distinguishing characteristic of absolute despair is silence. There is a world of difference between the person who, believing that there is no use, says so to himself or to no one, and the person who says it aloud and to someone else. A person who marks a trail into despair remembers hope and thus has hope, even if only a little. The psalmists then are marking the trail into despair in God's plain sight so that God can indeed follow them to the bottom of the night. The one who is crying out in anguish will be found. And that makes all the difference. Whether our lament is personal or political, and there is hardly anything that is personal that is not also political, until those situations and emotions have been brought to speech, we cannot begin to move forward, change, or heal. And speaking of moving forward, changing, and healing, the turning point in Psalm 13 occurs between verses 4 and 5. The psalmist pivots from anguish to affirmation of trust. Somewhere in the gap between verses 4 and 5, something happens. Hear it again, starting in verse 4. And my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. Then after the gap, verse 5. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. The space between verses 4 and 5, it, it does not seem very big. It, it's just a quarter of an inch on the printed page, as if this transition from grief to joy happened in the blink of an eye. But we aren't given the details. It is likely that the psalmist's season of disorientation lasted much longer than what appears on the page. Because that's, that's true for us, isn't it? We know what it is like to wait in the gap, waiting for the divorce to be finalized, waiting for the next job offer, waiting for the loneliness to subside, even just for a little bit. 
waiting for a day when the tears don't fall, waiting to hear from the doctor, waiting to meet someone new, waiting for the clouds to part and our faces to be warmed by the sun. How long, O oh Lord? Perhaps a more helpful transition of the verse 5, where we hear hope, might be more familiar words. But I trusted in the sure and certain hope that love would see me through. And in our time of trusting, our time of waiting, our time of moving through seasons of disorientation, we might make a few more lists, like we did last week, but this time a list of lament, a list of grief, a list of complaint about injustice, knowing that God is expecting us to be honest, to name what we need, to cry out, to say that we are not okay. And while we may not know how long the wait will be, we do know the end of the story. Easter is possible only after Good Friday. Joy comes in the morning after the long, dark night. And not because we pretend we are not suffering, not because we ignore reality. The other side may not look like what we expect, but the only way out is through, for the Bible tells us so. Rage, disbelief, Grief, maybe you've heard that they don't belong in church or in the spiritual life, but they do, for the Bible tells us so. And to this rage, disbelief, and grief, God says, good. Can you stay with the feeling? For if we do not name it, if we do not hold on to those feelings and then channel them for change, then what are we? Certainly not faithful, according to scripture. So be angry, grieve, be exhausted, be depressed, be anxious and worried. Stop trying to walk around like nothing is wrong. Be in a season of disorientation. And when you feel like giving up, give up, then begin again, because we are also people of the resurrection, for the Bible tells us so. Let us go with a word of blessing. And now, may the power of God and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which really does surpass all our understanding, go with every one of us, abiding in us, lifting us up, and making us whole. Let us go in peace, pray for peace, wage a little peace, and love one another, every single other. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Rev. Laurie Walkie, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. 
More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.